You're listening to the Elvis Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast, the channel that is devoted 100% to the life and career of the biggest selling recording artist of all time, with your host, Steve Francis. Hi everyone, welcome once again to Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel. Larry Geller is an American writer, hairstylist and public speaker. He was a spiritual advisor and personal hairstylist to Elvis Presley. He was the person in whom Elvis confided in matters of the spirit. Larry first met Elvis in 1957. It wasn't until 1964 that their paths crossed again and he became a full-time employee with Elvis. In part one of my interview with Larry, he spoke about that first meeting and the call in 1964 that changed his life forever. In part two, Larry tells me what Elvis really thought of the movies he made during the 60s, the historic meeting with the Beatles in 1965, and he also delves into the shadowy character of Elvis's manager, Colonel Tom Parker. Did he ever um, express the dissatisfaction that he had over the movies with you? The minute you said that, I almost wanted to to laugh because, man, did he. Um, I'll give you a a good example. Uh, About a year later, uh, a little more than a year, it was in August of 1965. And the Beatles came on the scene, as we know, in 64, and they became the Beatles overnight and they toured America, they toured the world, and what they wanted to do, and they tried several times, was to meet Elvis. And each time Elvis turned down. And finally, his manager, Colonel Parker, set up a meeting with with the Beatles at Elvis's home in Bel Air. And so the night, in August of 1965, I got to the house, and when I drove in, there were, I, I, I have no idea the number of people, thousands, many, many, many thousands, people lining the streets all the way down. They're in trees, and there are police, and the media. I'm, I'm sure you can visualize mm-hmm. the mayhem and and. and the scene that was going on. So I was led in, the gates opened, and I I go into the house, and the first thing that happens is Elvis and I go into his bathroom. And I should say that um, over the years, I would do Elvis's hair every day. When we made a movie, I would do his hair, I would say, five, six, eight, ten times a day. Because when we did a scene, many times his hair would fall down, so I would have to put it back into shape, and scenes would have to match. And Elvis would do a scene in the morning, and late afternoon, another scene that was much further down the line in the script itself. So I had to stay on top of it. And Elvis had the most fantastic head of hair, beautiful, but it was it was it was um, fine. 
So I had to tend to it and blow dry it and spray it, you know, continuously. But the real point I'm making is that every day when I did Elvis's hair, we were alone and we talked. And we would talk about everything under the sun, current events, politics, girls, relationships, you name it. Nothing was ever off the table. And we spoke a lot about spiritual growth in different religions, of course, and philosophy and metaphysics and all that. But the night that we walked into his bathroom, when the Beatles were going to arrive soon, he sat down and he was totally silent. And Elvis was not a silent person. Sometimes you couldn't shut him up. He loved to talk and to laugh and to tell jokes and to whatever. But this night, he was withdrawn, he was pensive, and I knew I understood immediately what was going on. And I'm starting to do his hair, and he's just staring off into space. And all of a sudden, I can remember it like it was yesterday, he snapped his finger, and he pointed, and he said, man, I know what those guys are going through, I know what they're doing, I like their music, and I respect them because they are on a stage in front of live people. That's where it's at, Larry. That's where it's at, man. That's where the energy is. That's where the spontaneity and the realness, that's where the love is. What the hell am I doing with my life? Making these, and I can't use the language, I guess, that Elvis used. Uh, you can only imagine. You can fill in yeah. what yeah. you might think he would say, because he did. <laughs> yeah, and he was he was pissed off. He was angry. He said, "What a, what am I doing with these teeny bopper movies? It's the same damn movie. All they do is change my name and change the set. It's the same script." And man, I'm telling you, I'm fed up. I can't stand it. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to meet these guys. They're coming here to meet Elvis. Hmm. What am I doing? I was doing what they were doing. Now I'm, he says, look, I know what the studios are doing. I know what Colonel Parker is doing. They're packaging me. They, um, I'm, I do a movie and an album comes out. And RCA, they sell millions. And the studios are making millions. Everyone's making money. He said, don't, don't get me wrong. He said, I'm making money too, but I'm not in this just for the money. I'm an artist. I'm a human being. I've got something to give. I have a purpose in life. And man, I can't keep doing this. I keep telling Colonel Parker, find me a movie. Find me a movie. And he keeps telling me the same, well, yeah, we're, we are, we're working on Elvis, we're working on it. But, you know, you got to make these movies. That's what the fans want. That's what the fans, and he keeps telling me this. So he, he did actually complain about the quality of the movies to Tom Parker. Totally. He, do you know what, Steve? He would never watch one of his movies. He wouldn't. Because he was probably embarrassed. 
he was. He said, I can't watch myself in that dribble mm. and that crap. And he used other words. Mm. I can't watch myself do that. Now, there's certain times at the end of the day uh, where the director had to show Elvis something. They're called outtakes. Yeah. And Elvis would have to go and look on a monitor and look at something. And, it, and he would. But, man, he never saw his movies. Now, he made a movie called um, that was a little bit different than the others. It was called Frankie and Johnny. Because that was based upon, but let me stop there. I have to also say, the movies Elvis made in the 50s were totally different. Love Me Tender was a different movie. It was a good script. Loving You was, a, was another good movie. But King Creole was an excellent movie. Yeah. Elvis, you just look at that. And that was Elvis' favorite movie, by the way. He really liked his work, and you could tell. And, and, and the, the, the biggest, most famous Hollywood um, coach was Lee Strasberg. Lee Strasberg was the teacher and coach of Marlon Brando and James Dean and many others, Montgomery Clift and, and Marilyn Monroe, many, many others. But Brando and Dean were Elvis's models. They were the ones that he knew that he could do what they did. He knew he could do it. And Lee Strasberg said, Elvis Presley is one of our great acting talents, only he's being... In the, he's being put into these cheap Hollywood movies. It's a shame. So people in Hollywood knew it, but, you know, Hal Wallace and Paramount Studios and MGM, they, 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 were, they were keeping Paramount Studios afloat. If it wasn't for Elvis, it would have been a whole different thing. And I remember one night, um, I'll have to back up again. As you you and a lot of the fans know, Elvis made three movies a year. So we'd go to Hollywood for a couple of months, make a movie, be at the studio at 8 o'clock in the morning, sharp, 8 sharp. Never, ever, Elvis was never late once. He never pulled that star. Uh, game where he came in an hour or two late because he was hungover or whatever. Elvis was there at eight o'clock. Left when the when the when when the director said it's a wrap. He never, you know, m most people would want to leave at four o'clock or five, and if we ran over, Elvis stayed. So we went to bed at a reasonable time because we had to get up early because we had to work. Great. But when we went after a movie, we go back to Memphis. Our whole schedule did a 180 because every night at midnight, Elvis rented the Memphian Theater and we would watch the latest movies. So we would go to bed 
six in the morning, <laughs> which was a total flip-flop, you know, which is great. We had both, the best of both worlds. So having said that, one night we were watching the latest movie, and it was called Beckett. It was produced by who? Hal Wallace. Hal Wallace was one of the most prolific producers in the history of motion pictures. Hal Wallace produced, in 1941, the number one, he said, best movie, Casablanca. And he had a string of the greatest movies in Hollywood, and he produced nine Elvis movies, Blue Hawaii, King Creole, you know, Paradise Lost, and the rest. So on the screen, we watched this movie called Beckett. I think it was 1966 we're talking about with Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole. Great actors. One of the great scripts. It was not, it might have been an Oscar, I'm not even sure. When the mo- and we loved the movie. When the movie was over, Elvis stood up and he looked at me and he said, man, look what Hal Wallace is doing. Look what Paramount is doing. They're making my movies, turning around and making a great movie like Beckett. This is what I should be in. This is what I should be doing. And he started really getting angry. You know what? He had a right to be angry. Yeah, He I was agree. right. Yeah, he, he was, was absolutely, because he was misused. And that's the truth. Mm. By, this, by, by the studios, but mostly Colonel Parker. Mm. Here's Colonel Parker. Hey, I'm going on in a rant now. <laughs> well, no, I was going to, I was actually going to ask you actually what, you know, what your feelings were on Colonel Tom Parker and also your relationship with him. Um, I, I will tell you. Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> Colonel Parker was a brilliant guy. No question. He was, he knew marketing inside and out. And he got his hands on Elvis. It's interesting because when Elvis first met the Colonel, his mother said, Elvis, stay away from that man. He's going to use you. He's going to, he doesn't care about you. He's going to, he will, all he wants to do is use you. And she was right. Now, it's true that, all right, let me back up again. I'm going to tell you an incident that happened. And I understand I'm not talking to you, Steve, chronologically necessarily, because I'm going from 1964 to 19, now 1977. Okay. 1977 was... Well, it was an extraordinary year in Elvis's life, obviously, because he passed away. He left us in August. And that year, his health really took a downturn. And we were in, we were on tour, always on tour. They worked him to death. It was, I'm trying to think, it was... um, April or May, somewhere in there. We were in Detroit, Michigan. 
excuse me, I'm wrong. We were in Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and we were staying at the Hilton Hotel. And uh, it was four o'clock in the afternoon, and Elvis's doctor, Dr. Nick, was in the bedroom of Elvis. And I was sitting in the front room, and no one was there. The television's on, the news was on, and I'm watching, waiting for Dr. Nick to leave Elvis' bedroom. Elvis is going through a real rough patch. And all of a sudden, there was a pounding on the door, which scared me because we have police. You couldn't get off the elevator, the uh, the um. Uh, uh, the elevator because we had police everywhere guarding and I ran to the door the front door and I looked through the little hole and I saw it was Colonel Parker who and this is the first time he ever came to Elvis' bedroom never did that before so I opened the door I said Colonel he said where is he I said well he's in the bedroom Uh, let me go tell him you're here he said no I'm going right in and he walks past me with his cane and walks. And I ran to the uh, to the door. I open it. The colonel walks in. And Dr. Nick was dunking Elvis's head into a bucket of ice water. Elvis was in bed with his body leaned forward. And the door closed and I obviously didn't go in. I wouldn't do that with Colonel Parker and what was going on. And I thought, my first thought was, good. This is good. Colonel Parker is going to see the truth now. Elvis is in terrible shape. He should not be on tour. He should be in a hospital. He needs medical attention. I I thought that the colonel was going to come up and the tour would be stopped mm. and that would happen. Mm. A minute and a half later, the colonel walks out, closes the door and he walks up to me. We're standing toe to toe. He's holding his cane in his hand and he's shaking it. He says, now you listen to me. The only thing that's important now is that man is on stage tonight. Do you hear me? Nothing else matters, Larry. Nothing. And he walked out. Now, I I, I think things like this are are some of the reasons why the fans uh, so dislike Colonel Tom Parker. Well, of course. The fans are not, they're not, they're smart. The fans are connected to Elvis. They feel, they sense things that went on. They don't have to have to have been there, but they know. So, listen to this. Ay, ay, ay. This is a good one. My heart just sank. And I thought, oh my God, this man's cool. Ice water goes runs through his veins. He doesn't care. Elvis' mother was right. Elvis is a commodity. He's a, he's a can of soup. He's selling. He's he... 
So if Dr. Nick leaves and Elvis says, Lawrence, Lawrence, come in here, come in here. And I went in Elvis's bedroom. He says, why in the hell did you let that son of a gun in here? And I said, and I told him what happened. He said, man, I've had it, Larry. I know I've been saying this for years. This is it, man. It's over. It's over. I'm getting rid of the colonel. And Elvis went on to tell me something that I'm going to tell you now. And this conversation repeated itself many times over the next several months. And it actually started a few months earlier, but now it came to a head. Elvis said, and he, he recalled, he even brought up what his mother said years ago, that man doesn't care about you, Elvis. He said, I'm getting rid of him, man. This is it. And here's what Elvis told me. He said, man, I have let too many things go by in my life and I've got to live up to it. I've got to live up to it. It hurts me. You have no idea how it pains me to see the things I let go in my life. Number one, my health. I've been relying on doctors. I've been taking these so-and-so pills. They're poison, and I know it, and I'm going to get off of them. We're going to go to Hawaii, Larry. We're going to go to Hawaii for a year, even longer if that's what it takes. I'm going to get off all these pills, and I'm going to get healthy. We're going to, you're going to get me on a good diet, and we're going to play football. I'm going to get in the water. We're going to exercise. I'm going to kick back. I'm going to get... He was only 42 years old. Mm. He could have done that in easily. Six months and a year later, he would have been full-blown, clean, and ready to get back to do what he wanted to do. He said, man, I'm getting rid of most of the guys. I don't want an entourage around me anymore. I know why these, a lot of these guys are here. He said, look, they've had a good life. They're good guys. I'll take care of everyone. I just want you, and he mentioned a couple of people, four of us were going to go to Hawaii, and he was going to read every day, meditate, breathe, and just be himself. He didn't want to tour. He said, listen, singing is my life's blood. I love to sing. I'll always sing. I'll sing in Hawaii. I'll sing at home like I do now. But no more touring. It's killing me. It's killing me. It's taking the life out of me. He said, all I want to do is see my fans and sing to them. I owe them everything. Everything. He says, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in now. They put me here. So I want to do this. We're going to go to Hawaii, but you don't. And only two other people knew about it. His father and Charlie Hodge. So he said, we're going to go to Hawaii, but we're going to do something else. We're going to do a little bit of work, Larry. Um, I need to uh, back up one more time with you to give you a little Larry Geller history. In 19, early, middle 1974, Elvis did a lot of things to break away, to do things on his own. 
And every time he tried to, it was stopped. And he decided to produce, become a producer. And uh, we were going to produce a karate film. And I was going to be the writer. And I, I wrote the first draft of it. We did some filming at a Beverly Hills High School. And then his the colonel put a stop to it. Mm. So that's another story. But I'm saying that to get back to what I'm telling you in this conversation, when Elvis said, Larry, I know you, you're a good writer. So we're going to sit down and we're going to come up with ideas for a movie. And we're going to watch every day. We're going to watch movies. I'll get all the videos that Hollywood has produced and we'll start watching and we'll, we'll hone it down and figure out a movie or two that I could do We'll go back to Hollywood when we leave Hawaii and we'll hire some great screenwriters and tell them the kinds of movies you know, I, I want to be in and I want to start a production company. This is what Elvis's vision of his future was. He knew he was in deep trouble. He knew it. He said, my life is on the line, but I'm going to take, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to do it. Um, so I wanted to tell you these things, Steve, yeah, yeah. and I want to tell you something else okay. that I think is going to, I got to go back in time again. <laughs> no problem. So we're time travelers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to go back to August of the meeting with the Beatles. And by the way, that was so much fun. Um, the Beatles came in to meet Elvis. And I'll just give you a couple highlights. He came in and uh, everyone introduced one another. Elvis sits down in the chair. All of us, all of the entourage, Elvis's entourage was there. The Beatles' entourage, Brian Epstein, Colonel Parker, Priscilla was there. Elvis is on the chair. The four Beatles sit down. Everyone sits down. The four Beatles sat on the floor in a semicircle, the four of them, cross-legged, half-lotus style. All they did was stare at Elvis. All of a sudden, there was silence in the room. It was unbelievable. Now, 15, 20 seconds went by. Now, wait a minute. Think about it. 20 seconds it's a long time. You're sitting with Elvis Presley, and all of a sudden you're just looking at him. And Elvis says, "Oh, come on, you guys are on. you. You don't want to talk to me. I'm going to my bedroom." It cut the ice, and everyone laughed, and that started the conversation. The four John Paul Ringo and George stood up, and they and especially Paul and John, and I must say especially John, he was like the spokesperson and Paul is next. And John said, Elvis, man, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, for you. We know that. You're the man, Elvis. You're the man. You started it all. And that, that, the stones wouldn't be here. The turtles, no one. You, you, you're it, Elvis. 
All we want to do is to meet you and to tell you how we feel about you. It was beautiful. I mean, it was really a a very cool thing. And something very odd happened. I never forget, Paul nudged John at a certain point. And he pointed, in every one of Elvis's rooms, a TV is on with no sound. And the TV was on. And he said, look, colored telly. I guess, you know, it was a big thing to them. In England, I guess, colored television came in later. Mm. And with you guys, with you too, I'm not sure. At any rate, um, Colonel Parker and Brian Epstein went into the other room. And there was a big roulette table that was put up. And the two of them stayed by themselves. And they talked business or whatever they talked about. And George and Ringo went with our guys. We had a big pool table in the other room. They played pool. So Elvis stayed in the den with John, Paul, myself. Jerry was there. And one other guy, I don't remember who. And by the way, Colonel Parker was such a control freak. He wouldn't allow one picture to be taken that night of the Beatles and Ellis. Mm. No, no, no recordings either. No, I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. But even a picture, you know? Mm. But he wanted to control everything. Now, Elvis, you know, he acknowledged, he said, look, Colonel Parker is a genius. He launched my career. He did a great job. He made, he, he, he made it for me. He got me in the movies. But he lost touch. Mm. He lost touch somewhere along the line. I need a new manager. And Elvis had one picked out, by the way, that he was going to approach. any rate. Can, can, you, uh, can, can, you tell me, can you tell me who that was? Yes, Tom Hewlett. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Does that ring a bell? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 good, good. Tom was a fabulous guy. He he and Jerry Weintraub owned Concerts West. Yes. They uh, promoted the tour, but Weintraub never went on tours, but, but, but Tom went on every single tour. And um, anyway, he was highly respected. I was liked him, and he was going to approach him. But um, we're sitting in the den, and John said, Elvis, can I pick up one of your guitars, man? And I said, sure. So John picked up a guitar. Then Paul picked up uh, one of Elvis' guitars. It might have been a bass. I don't know. I don't remember. And Elvis picked up his Martin, and they all started to jam. And they played for about 15, 18, 20 minutes. No recordings whatsoever. And at a certain point, they sang together. How's that? Yeah, what an opportunity missed. So, at that point I thought to myself in the space-time continuum in infinity I am sitting 
in the exact best place a person could be. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, so it was a great evening. Somebody called Susie says, did Elvis ever talk about doing anything else outside of the music and entertainment business? This is for Susie, and it's a very good question. Um, Elvis wanted to expand. He wanted to make movies as an actor, to be in movies as an actor. And he said, man, I know it. I can win an Oscar. I know I can. I've got it within me, and I, I owe it to myself. I owe it to my fans. So he wanted to uh, expand by being an actor. He wanted to create a production company to produce movies, meaningful movies. And um, he wanted to also start a charity. And um, he won, he, he said, very, he was such a giving person. He, whatever he had, he would give to others. Money, watches, cars, furs, any kind of clothing, homes. He just gave everything away. And he wanted to start a charity. And he said, look, you know, I make all the money I could ever use. Let's start a production company, make great movies, and use that money to give away to charity. And he also spoke once. He loved football. That was a huge football, American football. I don't, I don't mean soccer. Uh, he thought about maybe even buying into or buying a, um, um, his own football team. So that answers that question. Yes. Okay. Yeah. This is a very quick one, actually. Elaine says, do you think Elvis was psychic? <laughs> it's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? Uh, Elaine, by the way, it's not, my sister's name is Elaine. Oh, right. Who I just spoke to earlier today. Uh, um, Elaine, everyone is psychic. You're psychic. <laughs> everyone has that ability. We all have intuition to some degree or another. Elvis was a highly developed human being. He, um, uh, he was extremely intellectual. He read books every day of his life. He had a photographic, just about a photographic memory. He would quote books. He was phenomenal. And he had a, a, a um, extraordinary sense of intuition. He knew certain things would happen. He knew if you walked in the room that something was going on with you. So yes, um, Elvis was highly intuitive that way, just like you are and we all are. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we have intuition is correct. Uh, when you were saying about uh, reading and so forth, and Sheila says, did Elvis ever share particularly meaningful Bible verses uh, with you? Can Larry name at least one? Sheila, that's a beautiful question, Sheila. I like that um, because there's so many ways I can answer that. Mm -hmm. uh, as like I was saying, Elvis quoted from all the books that he read the various spiritual and religious uh, books, and he would often quote the Bible. Um, I want to tell you a story, okay? 
Two weeks after the Beatles came to see Elvis, we had to get back to Graceland because Elvis needed to rest and get ready for the next movie. So we were no, we knew we were going back for a couple of months. So when we went back to Memphis or when we left Memphis to go to LA, we would drive and Elvis had a mobile home, an RV. And Elvis would always drive and it would be followed by all of his cars. The guys that worked for Elvis would drive them. And so we were in the middle of the desert, very close to where I'm sitting right now, about 40 miles from here. It was about one, two o'clock in the morning, pitch dark. And in those days, we didn't have, obviously didn't have cell phones. Cassettes weren't even out yet. But in the 60s, we had what's called, I don't know if you know, eight-track cartridges. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. Um, and Elvis had the best of Roy Orbison. And Elvis loved Roy Orbison. And Elvis listened to music all the time. And Roy Orbison was on top of his list. And he knew I used to do Roy's hair before I started with Elvis. So I'm sitting next to Elvis. He's driving. He puts in the best of uh, Roy Orbison. And all the tracks are playing. And all of a sudden comes on Only the Lonely. The song starts about 10 bars in. All of a sudden, Elvis sings with Roy Orbison. It was glorious. Elvis, can you imagine? Elvis's voice and Roy Orbison mm. singing Only the Lonely. Mm. It was something else. The song was over. Elvis leans over, turns down the volume, and he looks at me with that Elvis look, that Elvis smile. He says, man, Larry, I got it, man. I got it. I know what I'm going to do. And he tells me, I'm going to create my own album. Only this is a spiritual album. This is not that stuff they have me sing in the, mov in the, the, the movies. No, no, man. This is not rock and roll. This is spiritual, gospel, pure music. I'm going to do this my, on my own, not with Colonel Parker. If RCA wants to put it out, they can, but they can't meddle with my music like they always do. And the truth of the matter is, he was flashed by the Beatles. Ever since the Beatles came, it really worked on him. He was so flashed by them that he wanted to do something outside of those movies. So for the next six months, every day, he would select a song that he wanted to sing, that he wanted to be part of the album called How Great Thou Art. Yes. Yeah. It was born because of the Beatles. That's how it happened. Wow. They don't even know about it. <laughs> so we went, I'm, I'm getting back to the answer to the question. So we went six months, eight months later, we went to Nashville, Tennessee to record 
Elvis is going to sing, of course, at RCA Victor. We're in Elvis's room at the motel. And Elvis told everyone to go down to the car, that we would go to the studio in a few minutes. He only sang at night. So it was about 8 o'clock. He said, go to the car, you guys, and I'll be down in a few minutes. Larry and I need to talk. So when they left, Elvis said, all right, this is what's happening. This is not another movie. This is not rock and roll music. This is God's music, Larry. And I'm not going to use this voice that God gave me until I hear that still, small voice within, which is a quote from one of the Psalms of David, the still, small voice within. And Elvis would would refer to it many times in his life, and he would use other quotes, like if he was having a big problem, he would always say, this too shall pass. Yes. This too shall pass. At any rate, uh, we uh, Elvis said, Larry, I'm not going to use my voice until my ego is out of the way. Turn the lights down. Let's say a prayer. Let's meditate. So I did. We said a prayer. We meditated for about 12, 14 minutes. And all of a sudden, I heard Elvis say very gently, okay, man, okay. I heard that small voice within telling me, I'm ready. Larry, he said, if one person can be touched by this music, then I've done my job. Ten years later, ten years, we were on tour in southern Florida, in a place called Hollywood, Florida, and we get to the um, the, uh, uh, the Hilton Hotel, and there were hundreds and maybe thousands of people, fans screaming. Elvis goes to his room, which was at the penthouse on top. I went to my room and I unpacked. I went downstairs, and I see this girl who's part of a group of girls that follow us everywhere we go. There were many of them. But this one girl, she yelled at me, Hi, Larry. She even knows my name. And she's covered on, she had a jean jacket with Elvis patches and buttons on her jeans, on her cap, everywhere. Elvis, 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 Elvis. And I called her over and I was going to eat in the restaurant and I invited her. And I said, and her name was Darlene. I said, Darlene, I want to know your story. Why why are you covered in Elvis? Why do I see you everywhere we go? You're at all the concerts. So she tells me her story. And she says, Larry, you can tell that I'll never have children or be married. She had the most gorgeous, big, blue, angelic eyes, a beautiful face, but from the waist down, she was, it was quite obvious that she was challenged. Mm-hmm. And what happened was she told me when she was eight years old, she fell down a, a big flight of stairs. Her spine broke in many places. And growing up was just, she was tormented. And she was in the hospitals for 
many, many months and over the years many times and drugs and pills and shots and pain and depression. And she grew up and she had no will to live anymore. And she said she she had all the pills. She got them from her doctor. She wrote a note to her family. She's in her bedroom. Her radio was on. And she said, all of a sudden, I heard this voice singing, How Great Thou Art. It was Elvis Presley. I became hysterical. I fell down on the ground crying hysterically. And I knew then and there, there was a God. And I had to dedicate my life to Elvis. And I have to protect him. And that's why I'm here. I got to make sure he's okay. And I told her the story that I told you earlier. I said, darling, that's amazing. I'm going upstairs. I know Elvis wants me. And I'm going to tell him. She said, you are? I said, you bet I am. I, walked, I went up to Elvis's room and I walked in. And I could see him in my mind's eye right now. Steve, I'm, I, it, it, it is vivid. He was wearing his blue um, bathrobe with, with the blue hood up. And he was looking down through the blinds at where the hundreds of fans were many, many stories down below. And when he, when he knew it, I came in, he turned around and said, Elvis, I've got to tell you something. And he said, lay it on me. And I told him, tears rolled up in his eyes. He says, man, you have no idea how I needed to hear that. You have no idea. Wow. So if we have one more question. Yes, I do, actually. Um, and I think it's an appropriate one to uh, finish with. Kathy says, what is the one thing about Elvis that Larry still thinks about to this day? If you can think of just one thing. <laughs> Kathy, that's the most appropriate question at this time. Uh, there's many things I could say, but I'm going to be magnetized to one thing. Elvis had so much love in him, so much love. He lived for two, I think. He lived for Jesse and himself, mm. not in a conscious way, but in terms of his internal, uh, you know, being, his internal tunnel and root system. Everything goes back to our childhood, and the things we were taught and the things that were meaningful to us and our upbringing and our relationship, if we have one, to God. Elvis had so much love in him, all he wanted to do was give. All he wanted to do is touch people. All he wanted to do was entertain people. He said, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I'm here to make people happy. He said, when I get on that stage, he says, you know, I don't go to any, I don't go to a church or anything like that. He said, this, when I get out there every night, that's my that's that's my church. When I sing a song about heartbreak and hurt and pain or love, I have lived it, man. I lived it. I want, I just want to give it to people. I want to touch people. I want them to draw them into me. And you know, when you think about it, no other voice in the history of the world has been heard more than Elvis Presley. 
no other voice has reached into and grabbed our hearts and gently squeezed it like Elvis Presley. And people say to me all the time, what, what, what was he like? What was he like? What was he like? What kind of a guy was he? And you know, you could read all the books and you can see the videos and you can listen to me or anyone else. doesn't matter. Forget it. You want to know what Elvis is like? Listen to his voice sing. Mm. Connect to Elvis. And it all comes through. The mystery of life itself and the mystery of Elvis Presley will come through and speak to you individually. Everyone thinks Elvis is speaking. <laughs> They're speaking directly to you. But he is. Mm. That's the mystery. That's the beauty that's the true magic. Listen to that voice. And you know, anytime, if I, if I, you know, have a problem or I get pissed off or I got, whatever, all I have to listen to Elvis saying, I, I walk away a different person. I hear this every, all the time for years and years and years. Elvis is a healer. Elvis came to heal us. Elvis was a gift. And Steve, it was wonderful talking to you. I'm so glad you called. And through a, a mutual friend, uh, this guy Bertie put us together. Yes, yes. We, do, we must thank Bertie yeah. actually for putting us together. I will. Bertie's a wonder, a great guy. And um, so let's stay in touch, Steve. Yes. And, and I thank you. Thank you so, so much for coming on and, and, and sharing your uh, Elvis memories with us. It's been absolutely fabulous. Absolutely. I feel like I could speak to you for days and days and days. <laughs> okay. Well, if you feel that about me, you can imagine what it would have been like with Elvis. Yes. Yes. Multiply that to infinity. Thanks once again to Larry for joining me on the show today, and a huge thanks to Bertie Ralph for putting Larry and myself in touch with each other. Larry's books, Leaves of Elvis's Garden, The Song of His Soul, If I Can Dream, Elvis's Own Story, Elvis's Search for God, and The Truth About Elvis, are all available on Amazon, and you can find the link in the description box below. I hope you can join me for another episode from Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel, until then, stay safe and thanks for listening.